All right, going to jump in. Uh, this is the fourth of five messages I am doing on uh, the life of Joseph, some lessons that we can learn from his experience. As I've said repeatedly, I will say again today, um, I suspect at some time or another, <clears throat> every one of us has felt like we got a raw deal or were treated unfairly. <clears throat> Today's lesson from Joseph uh, challenges us to wrestle with the question, Do I keep my balance when the scales finally begin to tip in my favor? Just a quick reminder, I know most of you have been here throughout the series, but just a quick recap. We picked up in Genesis chapter 37, uh, Joseph was one of a number of siblings. Uh, There was some sibling rivalry, to put it mildly. Uh, You can speculate, I've speculated as far as what role Joseph played in contributing to that, what role his father played in contributing to that by showing partiality to Joseph. He was clearly the favorite for much of his early life, and his brothers knew it. He may or may not have used that to his advantage. But it came to a point when Joseph was in his late teens that uh, his brothers had had enough. And there was some intense family fellowship uh, that led to their decision to kill him. Um, They beat him and threw him in a pit with the intent to leave him there until he died. Um, At one point, at least one of them had an attack of conscience and said, maybe we shouldn't kill the kid. And they decided some slave traders were passing by, and they said, well, let's make the most of this. We can get rid of the kid and make a few bucks. Let's sell him as a slave. And so that's what they did. Then they conspired. We'll take his special coat his father had given, called the coat of many colors. We're going to smear some animal blood on it. We'll go home and tell Dad that he got eaten by wild animals, and we'll be done. Dad will feel bad for us because we had to witness it, and it'll all be great. (laughs) So regardless of whether Joseph did anything to egg his brothers on, um, he got a raw deal. And then he, as a slave, he's then sold to an official in Potiphar's court, excuse me, in Pharaoh's court by the name of Potiphar. And as he served Potiphar, uh, he served Potiphar incredibly well as a slave to the point that eventually Potiphar basically entrusted all of the cares of his household into Joseph's uh, supervision. Now, again, He's a slave in a foreign land. He got a raw deal, yet he chooses to go there and do his job exceedingly well. And Potiphar recognizes that. Unfortunately, Potiphar's wife also recognized Joseph and took note of his uh, handsomeness and his young physical stature, and she began to make sexual advances toward him. He resisted those sexual advances Uh, She was offended by that and made false accusations of sexual assault directed at him. Potiphar's response is, throw the slave in prison. So that was kind of, again, he didn't do anything wrong. He did the right thing. He said no to her advances and then got punished for doing the right thing. That's important for me to wrestle with. I grew up in a reality in my own head that if you do good things, good things happen to you. You do the right thing, and right things happen to you. He did the right thing. And again, as I pointed out when we talked about Genesis chapter 39, he didn't do it out of his deep respect for Potiphar. He did it out of his deep respect for God. 
That's why he said no to Potiphar's wife. I will not, your, your husband's been good to me, but I will not sin against God by crossing this boundary. So, another time, he gets a raw deal. Now he's in prison, as we looked at last week. And while he's in prison, he is a model prisoner. Now, again, this is just me, because, you know, it is all about me. Uh, but he's now in prison because of another time he's untreated unfairly. And instead of just sulking in prison, he becomes a model prisoner to the point that after a period of time, he ends up basically in charge of the prison. Again, choosing to keep doing the right thing regardless. While he is in prison, at some point, there's a couple of other of, of Pharaoh's officials who end up in his care as supervising the prison. And one day, these two people from Pharaoh's court, his baker and his cupbearer, um, they're kind of having a bad morning. And he says to them, what, what's going on? And they both said, well, we had some wicked, crazy dreams, and they're not making sense. And he says, well tell me about this. And so they both explain their dream, and he goes on to explain to the baker. Well, he starts with the, with the cupbearer, as we pointed out last week. He tells the cupbearer, here's what your dream means. It means in three days, Pharaoh is going to realize the error of his ways. He's going to come and get you out of prison, and he's going to restore you to where you were before with his sincere apologies. And he says, and by the way, when this happens, please remember who told you this story. All right, just look out for me. Oh, sure will, got you covered, all of that. Now the baker, on the other hand, waiting to hear his story, similar dream, but slightly different ending. After three days, Pharaoh's going to come for you, and you know he's got to be thinking, yes, but he's going to basically kill you, all right? Well, that's not the result I was hoping for. So anyway, it happens just as way Joseph explains it. Come and get him. Cupbearer's restored. Baker's killed. What happens? The baker gets out of prison, gets on with his life, and forgets all about Joseph. Now, again, from from my perspective, maybe after a week, I'd be thinking, uh, he just got distracted. Maybe after a month, I'd be starting to think, uh, wait a minute. After a year... I'm thinking, I got a raw deal again. But somehow, one of the life lessons for me is somehow Joseph continued to do the right thing. Instead of just copping a major attitude, locking himself in his cell, and just saying, I'm done trying. And eventually, as we looked at last week, eventually... The cupbearer, after two years, remembers, oh, wait a minute. And that's where we pick up today. In Genesis chapter 20 and chapter 41, the cupbearer has been back tending to Pharaoh on a daily basis. And one day, Pharaoh is kind of out of sorts. And he says to anybody who will listen, you ever have one of those? I, I just almost never, ever, ever remember my dreams. 
I know some of you remember them. Some of you dream in vivid living color and soundtrack and the whole bit. That's not me, all right? But I know some people, you know, you have a crazy dream and you just got to tell everybody who will listen. And especially in a culture where they tend to read lots of meaning into their dreams, I'm not saying right, wrong, or otherwise, but, but it's a big deal. And, and so Pharaoh's telling everybody this dream, and nobody, not even his magicians, not even the wisest people, can tell him what it means, and it's kind of making him nuts. And so the cupbearer hears Pharaoh talking about this dream, and the cupbearer has an aha moment. It's like, oh! Wait a minute. Two years ago, back when I was in prison because you got mad at me for a while, Pharaoh, there was a guy in prison who was able to tell me what my dream meant, and it was exactly the way he told it to me. And Pharaoh says, i got to see this guy. And so they go to the prison, they get Joseph out of prison, and they clean him up. And he goes in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, you're not going to believe this dream. And he tells it to him. And he said, and I had another one, and it's just as crazy. And he tells him this. And Joseph is able to explain to him the meaning. And Pharaoh is so impressed that he rewards Joseph significantly. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more, but that was just a quick thumbnail sketch to get us up to speed. Now, please understand, Mike, most Sundays, I have nothing terribly profound to say. But I invite you to consider three things to remember when you finally get your shot. When things start to go your way, some things to just make sure you don't lose perspective. Because again, for me personally, if, if I've had one bad thing after another bad thing, and if people have done me wrong, when things go in my favor, I can kind of lose perspective in a not so good way. And so to me, Joseph provides a good reminder of a couple of things. And the first is, very simply, to trust in God. Now, again, by show of hands, any of you belong to a group, club, or organization that requires you to pay dues? Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, a few of you. All right. Good union, man. Probably union dues there, right? Yeah. All right. So... um now, thumbs up or thumbs down, how do you feel about paying dues? I've seen some thumbs up. Becky's, Becky's, I like Becky. Becky's giving me one of those. Ruben's got kind of, kind of, eh, yeah. That's, that's where I'm at. Uh, for me, again, because it, the world does revolve around me in case you hadn't figured it out. But for me, how I feel about paying dues depends on the benefits that membership provides. If paying my dues, the organization does what I think it should do, uh, behaves in the fashion I think it should behave, and I get benefits from that, you know, sometimes you pay dues and you get a discounted rate and all of that kind of stuff. If I feel like the benefits outweigh the cost of the dues, I'm okay. But trust me, as soon as I begin to feel the benefits are costing me, are not equal to what it's costing me, I very quickly begin to think, maybe I don't want to pay dues anymore. 
as I suspect many of you have experienced, often in life, we have to pay our dues long before we experience the benefits. Now, again, one year where it's kind of costing me more, uh, okay, two years, it's like, really? Three years, it's like, eh, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And, and I share that a little bit from personal perspective. Many years ago, like when I was in my late 20s and early 30s, and we were carving out this ministry called Caring Community, there was an author and speaker that I read a lot of and listened to a lot. And one day he made a statement. Now, again, I'm in my late 20s, early 30s. I don't remember exactly when, but he said, your most significant ministry will not start until you're at least 40. Now, as a 20, 30-something, I thought, hogwash. I think I'm pretty significant right now. And the, the thought that I would be expected to keep paying dues for another 15 years before I began to see a return on those dues, I just thought was utterly ridiculous. Interestingly, looking back at that time from my 60s, I realized the profound wisdom of that statement. And I'm not sure I'd made it by the time I was 40. And I share that with you today in relationship to Joseph. Because as I highlighted, I believe, in week one, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 2, it said that Joseph was 17 when he was in Potiphar's house. All right. If we fast forward to Genesis chapter 41 and verse 46, when Joseph ended up in Pharaoh's house and interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, he was 30 years old. Somehow, Joseph maintained a positive attitude and paid his dues through that positive attitude in spite of 13 years of unfairness, mistreatment, broken promises, and bad breaks. Year after year after year after year, he paid his dues. And he trusted that God understood and saw. Genesis chapter 41, verse 16 when, Pot, when Pharaoh brought Joseph before him and said, I heard you can interpret dreams, Joseph's response was, I can't. <laughs> can you imagine? They drag you out of prison, uh, and Pharaoh's got a dream, and they want you to interpret, and he says, I understand you can do this. Oh, no, I can't. Can you imagine how Pharaoh probably tensed up in that moment when he said, no, I can't interpret dreams? Excuse me? I can't, Joseph replied. To Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph said, to be honest with you, Pharaoh, I don't have a clue, but God does. Genesis chapter 41, verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, uh, again, after Pharaoh told him about the dreams, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 41, 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Genesis 41, 32. 
The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. When Joseph finally had the opportunity, he understood that what happened moving forward, just like what had happened before, was up to God. Again, I've made some wisecracks about being self-focused. And I don't want that to detract. But when it comes to God, trusting God, for me, it is usually rather uncomfortable. But sometimes I have to step back and ask myself, if God's word is true, is Jeremiah 29.11 equally valid on my worst day as it is on my best day? And Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, friends, when I'm having a really good day, we can have a hallelujah moment over that verse. But when I'm not having such a good day, that's a really hard place for me to get to, to say it's just as true today as it was in my best moment in time. I wish I could tell you that was always the case. But I know time and time and time and time again, I get called back to saying, is God good when it's good? And is God good when it ain't so good? Joseph just, maybe this is why I'm telling this story, is sometimes Joseph says to me, Steve, trust God. Joseph also reminds us to seize the moment. He teaches us that if life has been unfair, or should I say when life has been unfair, we need to make sure we're ready at all times. And when things start to go our way, we make the most of it. I think of a couple of common quotes. I see Barb here. Um, many of us knew back when Barb and Jerry put up hay and lots of it and lots and lots of it. The farmers always said, make hay when? When the sun shines. When the moment comes, be ready. Don't wait till the sun's shining to realize, oh, I never fixed the baler, or I'm out of twine, or I don't have gas for the tractor. Be ready when the moment comes and seize it. Strike while the iron is hot. If you've ever tried to shape metal with a hammer, if it ain't hot, it ain't happening. All right? Just And you think, well, gee, these quotes make sense. And again, I'm going to I'm going to walk through it. I paraphrase much of the story, but I do want you to hear the story directly. I'm going to pick up with chapter nine, excuse me, verse nine in chapter forty-one. <clears throat> um, I'm going to pick up a little bit further. So, uh, what's happened up to this point? The cupbearer remembers that Joseph interpreted dreams. Pharaoh has him sent for him, and we're going to pick up with verse fourteen, where that's taking place. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And he, when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard that, heard said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16, as I've already said, Joseph replied, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when the river, <coughs> excuse me, when out of the river, they came up seven cows, fat and sleek. They grazed among the reeds. <coughs> They grazed among the reeds. After them came seven other cows, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows and came up that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell they they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. Now, if I had never read this story and somebody told me that dream, I'd just kind of be, well, that's weird. What did you eat for dinner? All right. Verse 22. In my dreams, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin, scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians. None of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean cows, lean ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years and they are also, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain. They are even, they are seven years of famine. It is said, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And he went on to explain there's going to be seven years of abundance and there's going to be seven years of famine. This is what's going to happen. What I want to say is over those 13 years from the time his brother sold him into slavery and he ended up at at Potiphar's house, up to this point, I have to believe that somehow Joseph managed to stay in tune with God so that when the time came that he desperately needed to hear from God, they already had well-established lines of communication. And I think about us. And I would simply say, when it's time for us to seize the moment, we might not be ready if we wait to lean into God until we desperately need Him. We need to lean into Him long before we desperately need to lean on Him. So, Up to this point, I read to you the dreams. Joseph gives an interpretation of the dreams. And then something intriguing happens, starting in verse 33. So he explains to to Pharaoh what's going to happen. Seven years of prosperity, seven years of famine. And then Joseph says this. He says, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. 
they should collect all the food of these good years that are <clears throat> that are coming and store up grain, the grain under the authority of Pharaoh, to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Continue with verse 37. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. And Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. All my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Just hours earlier, he's a prisoner in the dungeon. He interprets a dream, and now he's basically running the country. Talk about seizing the moment. But here's my question for you. Where did Joseph's plan come from? That wasn't part of the dream as I read it. The dream was... Seven bad years, seven good years, and then somehow, I believe because he'd paid his dues, Joseph offers counsel to Pharaoh on how to weather it. I'm inclined to think all those years of paying dues, Joseph was developing that connection to God that allowed him to hear clearly from God and to seize the moment when the moment came and he was able to come up with this plan. Now, again, had he been a salesperson and a, an expert in self-promotion, he would have presented it, well, here's what I think you should do. I think you should put me in charge, and with me in charge, this is what we'll do. Going back to the first one, he's still trusting God. He's inspired by God to put out a plan. And then he trusts God that Pharaoh will do the right thing. I suspect in that room with Pharaoh or in Pharaoh's inner circle, there were a lot of people who he could have turned to and said, you run with this guy's plan because he's just a Hebrew slave. But he trusted God. He paid his dues, and when the time was right, he seized the moment. I'm going to pick back up in verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled about Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city he put into the, put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea so that it was, it was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was way beyond measure. Now, now just think about it for a moment. I, 
I'm not saying any of us in this room have a slightly vindictive streak, all right? But theoretically, there are people out there that if they were in, in Joseph's situation, as soon as Pharaoh said, Joseph, you're in charge, I'd be thinking, where's Potiphar and his wife? I got a score to settle. What about this prison warden? I'd like to have a word with him, and maybe the cupbearer, he at least owes me a couple years. Joseph realized in seizing the moment, that's not where he needed to go. He didn't waste his energy there. Just a couple more verses. Verse 53, chapter 41. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Just just go to Joseph. He's got this covered. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was so severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so severe in all the world. He was ready when the time came, and he acted under God's direction and inspiration. And then finally, trust God, seize the moment, and give God the glory. I've read it already. Genesis 41, 16. I cannot do it, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. It's not up to me. It's God, and he gets the glory. I just read this too. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born. I didn't read this. I skipped over it. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his first son Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. You know what? I've gotten a raw deal, but I'm naming my son Manasseh to remind me that God has been faithful and to give God the glory. The second son he named Ephraim. And said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Give God the glory. When things start to go well. Again, we're all wired differently. But when things start to go well. Resist the temptation to dwell on the unfairness of the past. At least for me. That's way easier said than done. But Joseph shows us it can be done. And as we're going to pick up next week with the last story, or last part of this story, just a little warning, just a reminder. All we've already seen some inclinations of it to be to be fair to others, even when life has not been fair to us. Bow your heads with me. Father, what an incredible challenge when life is unfair. To trust you when life's unfair. 
to keep paying our dues that we can seize the moment when the moment comes. And Father, help us to always remember to give you the glory because it is all due you. I thank you for Joseph's example and pray that it would continue to inspire us. Thank you, Father. Amen.